we are live. Welcome back to MicroConf On Air. This is a show where we live stream every other Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And we do it for about 30 minutes. We cover topics related to building and growing ambitious SaaS startups. These are the startups that bring us freedom and purpose and allow us to maintain healthy relationships while also being incredibly motivated and excited about what we are working on every day. So thanks so much for joining me again this week. I have a great guest who's going to be joining me in a minute, Corey Haynes. You may have heard of him uh, as the founder of Swipe Files, or you've probably seen him on the Twitters. If you have any questions for Corey Haynes about marketing, about growth, about he's built a pretty incredible business um, on, you know, essentially an email newsletter, feel free to Pipe them into the MicroConf on air channel in MicroConf Connect, or you can put them as uh, in the chat, uh, YouTube chat. MicroConfConnect.com. If you're not already in there, we have almost 3,000 founders and aspiring bootstrapped SaaS founders, and it's free and it's moderated, and the community is, it's just really a great place to be, to hang out, and to get advice and give advice. So with that, we're going to be talking today about the stair-step approach in action. And again, my guest is Corey Haynes. On Twitter, he is Corey Haynes CO. He's the founder of Swipe Files. He's been a SaaS marketer and a growth expert for many years. He currently is the marketing lead for Derek Reimer's Savvy Cal, who you know I've mentioned I've mentioned Savvy Cal uh, many times on the show. He was the first marketing hire at Bear Metrics and Cordial. He's an investor and advisor to more than 10 B2B SaaS companies. So join me in welcoming Corey Haynes to the show. Sir, hello, hello. Going? There he is. Good. A round of applause. A nice warm microcomp <laughs> welcome, as I say, as I say, a microcomp. Um, don't worry, there are people watching, you know, even though it's just it's just you and I. It's uh of course good energy. Cool. So yeah, let's um I want to talk about a couple things today. Well, the questions will start pouring in and, and we'll um, interrupt when those do. But I like this idea of, you know, you've kind of stair-stepped your way up. I think most folks listening know the stair-step approach to bootstrapping. I've talked about starting small, starting simple, and um, then building on top of that as you gain experience, as you gain revenue, as you gain the confidence, all these things. And so it feels like swipe files may, you know, on its own be a a stair-step in action. Oftentimes I talk about building one small product early on in an ecosystem like Shopify or Heroku or WordPress. And then acquire, usually you can't make a full-time living off of those. And then oftentimes you get two or three of those. Hey, now I buy out my time and now I have the freedom to kind of work on whatever I want, which in my world usually is bootstrapping or mostly bootstrapping a SaaS company. But mm-hmm. you've done it a little differently. And I think it's, uh, you know, a, a equal, an equally um, viable approach. I think to start, let's talk about swipe files. So swipefiles.com, if folks want to check it out, can you tell us, I can try to describe it, but there's a lot to it. And I just want to make sure that you, you cover it. So folks understand what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So swipe files is on the front end. Uh, what people get for free is a newsletter that helps you with SaaS marketing. So I share all sorts of case studies and tactics and stories from my experiences uh, and then the back end is membership, a product, uh, which is essentially a community, a collection of courses. I do live office hours and then access to me for all things SaaS marketing and growth to help you with your business. Um, since it's what I've sort of known and breathed and, and done for the last couple of years, uh, now I just get to do that forever. And uh, there's a direct access to me uh, through all that. Not a bad, not a bad living. And so you're pretty public about numbers. You have on the homepage that there are almost 7,400 SaaS founders and marketers on the free list. Hey, Pablo. Um, you, and then when I click on the membership link, uh, you have your MRR down at the bottom of that page. And I think you and I were just talking offline before we started that that MRR is a little out of date. Do you want to tell folks how much you're making from swipe files? Yeah, so the MRR right there is now today. I need to update it. Uh, we we're just talking about how it's make.com, but I need to update a, a formula in there. <laughs> Didn't get around to it before this interview, but it hovers around 5,000 to 5,500 uh, a month. So MRR. Uh, there's also other revenue from sponsorships, which is about equally as much. And then there's also uh, affiliates, and I'll do sort of some random consulting stuff here and there. Uh, there used to be like a coaching component which I since kind of ramped down because I figured out I'm, I'm actually not much of a coach, <laughs> not a huge uh, fit for my strengths. But um, altogether, it does around 120000 a year uh, total. 
Good for you. And so has that allowed you, I mean, that's a full-time living in most places in the world. I know you're in a little more expensive place than many of us <laughs> living in California, but w would that allow you to essentially go full-time and, you know, not have to work a day job? Yeah. I mean, as of literally two months ago in December, I think is when I hit sort of default alive. Mm -hmm. uh, there are expenses in there and there's taxes and all that jazz. And so it's still pretty much like ramen profitable for San Diego, California, which <laughs> is a high cost living area. Yep. Um, and, you know, account for vacations and upgrades and things like that. So, but it does unlock my time. Like I can say that it's default alive and that if I really wanted to or needed to, Swipe House could be like the sole source of income. Uh, the only challenge with that, of course, is cash flow. And so it ebbs and flows and some months it'll be great. And there's 10, 15 grand coming through the door. Other months there's two or 3000. And it's like, Oh, that's weird. But it's just a, you know, it's uh, the difference in billing schedules, right. And when people sign up and how many new people come through the door that month. But, uh, yeah, unlocks my time, um, and pays for my living. Yeah, that's great. And I, I would also venture to say that I think it will be to your benefit to continue to do things like you're doing with Derek on Savvy Cal because it keeps you close to the metal. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have to do yeah. this with Tiny Seed, right? I'm no longer a founder of a SaaS company because I sold Drip six years ago now. And I absolutely felt myself drifting away from that in, internal deep founder knowledge until I started, you know, investing and advising in, in the tiny seed companies. And I feel like Savvy Cal or, you know, whatever, whatever gigs you pick up as a SaaS marketer, I think would, would, will keep your chops up if that makes oh, sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, <clears throat> my relationship with Derek has been, uh, has been awesome. And just the opportunity to be able to work with him. I sort of see Savvy Cal a little bit selfishly as kind of my, my playground <laughs> where I get yeah. to test different things that I talk about or that I see other people do. And now I get to actually go put it into uh, into action and then use that as a case study to share later for, for swipe files and for members and uh, maybe as a newsletter edition later on or just something I can use as material for what I'm teaching or building a new course around. And so um, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. And it's also just great practice for me speaking about the, the stair step approach for eventually when I get to a SaaS of my own, then I have a lot of at bats, a lot of reps, um, a lot of things that I can draw from. Even from like a year ago, I would say that my my sort of experience and like the way that I see SaaS marketing and growing a SaaS businesses, you know, every day kind of progresses and you get 1% better. Uh, but then like looking back now from a year, I was like, man, I didn't know any, anything, right? It's like always you look back a year and you're like, I was so naive. <laughs> I was so ignorant. But um, now I get to take all these and put them into practice for myself. And so today working on a couple of small SaaS side projects, it's sort of been always my end game, of course, with the Sir approach, sort of in mind of, okay, each one of these things is going to be something that will eventually help me get to, you know, the, the last step or the top of the ladder, which for me is, is uh, being in SaaS full time. Mm -hmm. And this, this is a great way to do it. So let's talk, I think we have like three or four steps that you took along the way. Um, and I have some notes here that I think you and producer Xander were, were talking about that'll kind of lead us through, but was the first thing that you did was creating a couple of courses to kind of encapsulate yeah. your, your marketing knowledge? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of my first, uh, my first app. Actually, the very first one was Hey Marketers, which is the job board, which funnily enough, I actually reacquired after I sold the majority stake of it uh, in November of 2020, I think it was. Um, and so the job board was kind of one, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> that to be people's first step uh, per se, because the challenge that I figured out very quickly was that it's you're doing two products and you're doing two marketing uh, for each side of the marketplace. So for the companies hiring and then for the people looking for jobs. Um, and that's actually why I ended up selling it. Reacquiring was a whole different story because I was in a different place and actually could kind of reincorporate it back into the Swy Files brand and umbrella. And I sort of never stopped doing a lot of the uh, helping with recruiting and helping match make uh, opportunities for marketing roles. But that was the first at bat that I have. Uh, but yeah, the, the first, I would say, like step that I took was creating those courses. So I first created um, Mental Models for Marketing. And again, that was a very like, it was just with my very meager at the time, you know, 1,000 people, uh, 1,000 follower uh, Twitter list. And um, it was one channel, one product, a one-time sale. Let's just see what I can do with this. Uh, and I was actually, I mean, that was kind of a life-changing moment for me, especially with that first one because I had very low expectations of, all right, I just need to get something out there. It might be a slow burn. I'll just, you know, experiment. And 
when launching within the first week, it had made $10,000. And I was like, wow. whoa, <laughs> this is, this is crazy. This is real. This is real money, you know, and I showed my wife and that inspired a lot of confidence with her and sort of just taught me to like, oh yeah, I can, I can do this for myself or like, there's a lot more things that I can do. It kind of opened my eyes because hey, marketer was just making a couple hundred bucks a month and it was doing okay, but I think it was kind of a struggle and it was uh, a grind in a lot of ways. This was different. It was with an existing audience I already had, a one-time sale, something that was very near and dear to my heart that I could talk about all day long. And um, so then I created another one, Refactoring Growth, which is now the five factors of growth, just to make things a little bit more descriptive. Um, and same deal, you know, within the first week, about 15 grand in revenue. And then both of those combined, I was like, I think there's, I can do more of these like info products um, things that really help the type of people I want to serve, which are SaaS founders and marketers. Um, but also since I can't code and I'm not a programmer, not a designer, those sort of like, those are the only options I can have. Right. Uh, again, like you said, I'm not going to go build a Shopify app. I'm not going to go build a little Chrome extension because I can't. So I'm just going to do with what I can, uh, do the most with what I can and build an info products. Yep. And that's, I, I believe I'm going to the blog, my blog post right now. Yes. It says, one predict. Oh no, it's I, a lot of software. But in some of the instances when I talk about the stair step approach, I specifically call out: you can do, you could write a book, you can write an ebook, you can do a video course, you can do, you know, audio, you can do WordPress, Shopify, Heroku. You know, so some of it's software and some of it's not. Um, I believe I've updated a pot, the post itself to be more focused on software, just because that's really, you know, I'm I'm really all in on SaaS uh, at the moment, but. Um, so I want to hear next. So that, that was your first step then is these courses, these one, it's kind mm -hmm. of a one-time big push, Hey, 10, 15 grand. And then it kind of trickles out and it does, cause I've done courses too, and they're amazing. And then longer term, it, it's always like, oh, I got I'm on a hamster wheel now. I got to keep creating yes. courses. And so yeah. we're going to, we have some questions I want to jump to, and then I want to come back to your story and find sure. out, okay, how'd you get, you know, cause now you're, you're talking MRR about swipe files. So somewhere you, you made a couple steps there. Uh, first question is from Pablo on YouTube, and he says, you know, now that you're wiser, you said, you know, you get getting 1% <laughs> smarter uh, every, every day in essence. He says, are there SaaS ideas that you wouldn't delve into or that you wouldn't tackle now that you know what you know? Hmm. Um, I think two sided marketplace. Of, <laughs> I yeah, right. Two sided yeah. marketplace for me. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I think that's sort of a, a given. Um, uh, on the product and the marketing side, I'll speak to both of those. Uh, for the product side, again, I think that, yeah, you should know what you're getting yourself into. Like, do you have some sort of expertise or can you, do you feel the pain personally? But also I think there are some markets like you've talked about, Rob, I'm just basically just going to regurgitate other things you've said is um, there are some product categories, especially that just like they need VC and there are, I personally, I don't want to take any VC. I'm not like anti, but it's just for me and my background, my goals, I want to go bootstrapped or sort of very lean and fun strapping. Um, and so think about the product itself, what are the things that, um, sort of price you out and avoiding the things that, you know, are, are too big of a, a bite for you. And, um, maybe that are just like the wrong category for building a bootstrap SaaS business on the marketing side, especially too, the way that I think about it is, um, what are the channels that can grow and grow this business from the get go? Can I scope that out beforehand? Are there a lot of unknowns? What are the channels? Um, I think especially too, like for me. I'm not super interested in growing a SaaS business primarily through sales. I'm an introvert. I'm a marketer. Um, I like things that scale and that can be reused and that are sort of async um, meetings and just talking with people and like a sales function, which is very monotonous or repetitive, would just be soul sucking for me. I'm not saying it's bad. It's right for a lot of other people. And again, some SaaS products and the customers that you sell to will require a very heavy sales function and sales motion. So I wouldn't go into a SaaS business that would require that to be the primary one. Of course, you're gonna have like some inbound sales and in the early days, you kind of just wanna like scrape and claw your way to every extra dollar and every customer that you can get. And so you wanna do some sales and you know mix some sales with like customer development essentially early on. But today I wouldn't do a SaaS business that you know, is outside of like a product category of, um, that would require VC or just outside of like my expertise. And I also wouldn't do one that would require a marketing channel or a sales channel that I'm not comfortable with or uh, that doesn't suit sort of what I'd like to do. Yeah. And I, I think those, those are great answers. And I always struggle with this question because 
I can give some general ones of like, well, you know, maybe don't go B2C or like B2Prosumer is going to have a high churn and all that's true. But I often come back to like, it, there's a lot of it that's personal. Like you personally don't mm -hmm. want to do a sales-driven org, even if, um, you know, sales-driven orgs can grow really quickly. But for you, it's not interesting, right? And so yeah. for, for me, similarly, like if I were to launch another SaaS, I wouldn't want to work with like a customer group that I wasn't super fired up to work with. So that there's yeah. a reason that I run tiny seed and micro startups for us because I love hanging around ambitious founders. I personally would struggle to start some of like we've funded companies in, with tiny seed that are, are like um, selling to home improvement contractors or electrical contractors. And it's like, that's cool. I was an electrician for a while, but I like, I personally don't have an affinity to that market and I would thus get bored with the business personally mm -hmm. at this point, you know? Um, and let's see, oh, we have another question uh, from Spencer, MicroConf Connect. He says, Corey, did you ever work a full-time job? Where did you acquire your marketing skills? Yeah, so my first full-time gig was with Cordial. It's the first marketing hire there. And so I worked myself up um, as an intern all the way to full-time hire and then all the way to a content marketing manager. Um, and then uh, my second gig was with Parametrics. Uh, those are both, again, playgrounds for me uh, I sort of said I was paid to learn being the first time marketing hire I think especially you're given a lot of freedom and autonomy you can make mistakes uh, you can test things out you're gonna have like a, a broad swath of skills that you have to acquire and just things you're gonna have to tackle in general whereas if I were to start with like a uh, an Airbnb or a, a Salesforce you're gonna be hyper specialized right and you're just like gonna be very very in, in your lane, you know, to use corporate speak is you're only going to be doing a very small subset of skills and responsibilities. Um, and so I think just being able to work at uh, startups, being an early marketing hire, and also just being like more of a, a generalist and in a general, generalist position allowed me to, um, well, really just to not be like a, a jack of all trades, master of none, but really to be a jack of all trades and then like a master of a couple of things and to figure out what I actually did like to do. Even when I started at Cordial, uh, so as an intern, they were just throwing stuff left and right at me, like, "Hey, we need to, we need to test some LinkedIn ads, and we need to sponsor this conference, and we're going to host a cocktail party up in Santa Monica, and how do we need to drive people over there?" And I just like figure it out, and I also figured out very quickly the things that I don't like doing, like events. To me, are the bane of my existence, and it's just all the things that I don't like about being detail oriented and uh, everything being very time bound and on a schedule and a deadline. And um, but I figured out other things like I really love content, I really love SEO, I really love performance marketing, um, I really love co marketing and partnerships. And so, being a, a generalist, I was able to also figure out what I don't like to do. Um, but I also had the the affordance, um, I would say the, you know, the generosity of managers just to be able to kind of go and test and build a broad swath of skills. Getting paid to learn is awesome. That's, those are great roles. Um, yeah. I tell like aspiring founders or folks who say, how can I learn to program or how can I learn to, to market? Right. I say, try to find a job where at a small company where you have a lot of autonomy, because if you go to a fortune 1000 company, and do marketing, you're going to do one thing and you're going to do a shitload of it. You know, you're going to yep. write a lot of content and not, you're not going to edit content. You're not going to strategize what content you're going to be kind of handed an assignment. Mm -hmm. and you can do that over and over. If you're doing pay-per-click uh, Google ads, that's all you're going to do. You know, you're going to go knee deep in that, which is, that's not bad, but you don't get the exposure to find out what you like, what you don't like. Um, so I want to get back to your story. It looks like, yeah. All right. So cool. So no more questions right now, folks. If you have more questions for Corey, please do post them uh, to YouTube or MicroConf Connect. So step one of the stair step for you was basically, uh, building these courses, this one-time revenue. And then step two was what got you your first thousand email subscribers. So you started writing teardowns of landing pages, emails, and ads. You want to tell us a little mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. So... Uh, the next project, kind of just going one after the other, trying to get my reps in from mental models to marketing to the five packs to growth. Uh, then I was like, well, I want to have something now that has some sort of recurring revenue. So I still knew kind of like trying to go up to the next step. I knew there's probably still going to be like one channel ish, but I also want to diversify away from just being Twitter and also have like a more owned channel, which I talk a lot about these days, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, an email list is probably the most valuable thing. Uh, the most valuable marketing asset you can have. Um, but I also wanted something with a recurring sale. So not just a one-time sale, but also recurring revenue. Um, at that time, I think that was, uh, you know, January, February of 2021. Um, actually, no, that was, that was 2020. 
um, right in the middle of the pandemic. I also want to just, you never know what was going to happen during the pandemic. So I also just want to like get something out there just to have another uh, kind of diversify another income stream. Um, but that was when newsletters and communities were really taken off. So I was like, I think why don't, I'm going to try to take a couple steps here. I'm going to start with a newsletter, later get to a community. So I started in these kind of weekly teardowns of landing pages, ads, emails, um, mainly a lot of SaaS companies, but some other things kind of, you know, put in there. Not trying to think too much about like, what's my overall strategy here, more just trying to get the reps in and do these weekly teardowns. So I got the first thousand subscribers that way. I think I ended up doing about 42 consecutively uh, week after week. So almost a full year of doing those teardowns. Um, and then I started a community for marketers um, or just around marketing in general. Uh, it's one of the early users of Circle, just a common platform now used for communities. Um, and that was allowed me to get like the first hundred customers, like recurring, um, you know, members essentially subscript really subscriptions. Right. Uh, and my first kind of taste of that recurring revenue. Very nice. And I'm just about to do step three and we got another question. So this is great. Will, uh, on microconf connect, he says, I feel that a lot of times I come across case studies of startups selling to other startups or the old course build, course builder marketing a course on creating and marketing a course. I like to say <laughs> teaching people how to make money online by teaching people how to make money online, but you know that thing. But Will's question is, what advice would you have to someone who is a loan marketer for a small insurance agency or a company that makes legal software, basically marketing to companies that aren't buying on Twitter or aren't as active online? Mm. Well, this gets really kind of in the weeds on marketing strategy. Uh, of course, there's no one size fits all to be as pre prescriptive as possible. Really, what you want to do is you want to uh, kind of go through like an influence mapping exercise. We're trying to figure out what are all the things, the channels, the people, the sources of content that your target market pays attention to, or they give their time and energy and attention. Uh, you know, where do their eyeballs go? What do they spend time online on their phone or on their desktop researching, learning, educating themselves, hanging out online? Where are the, the digital watering holes, as it were, uh, sort of where you can find those types of people? Um, and then how do you find ways to get in front of them in an authentic and compelling way, right? And so maybe there's a couple of, uh, I don't know, online publications or magazines or um, uh, if they're I'm trying to like speak in a little bit like, you know, old school kind of marketing tactics if it's maybe like a, an older, um, more analog industry, maybe like insurance or insurance tech, maybe not, right? But just think about what are all the things that they pay attention to? A really easy way to do that is you can run a survey to your existing customers if you have some. Uh, you can also just do some online sleuthing, looking through, you know, doing uh, Google searches and asking friends of friends. Um, kind of just doing research online of where these people hang out, what, what sort of, uh, even doing like keyword research in a tool like Ahrefs or Ubersuggest, type in keywords like, you know, insurance uh, tech or like common keywords of what people would search for. So how to do X, Y, and Z that's related to your industry, um, or even just doing video calls with those customers or with uh, people, even like podcasters in the industry or people who are influencers or content creators in that space, they normally have, speaking from experience, a good kind of lay of the land and good perspective and opinions about who all the players are, what people care about, um, what other source of content or influences uh, are in the market that you can use to tap into. And uh, you can either pay to play, you can sponsor, you can advertise, you can build some sort of revenue share or affiliate relationship with those uh, sources of influence, or you can do a more um, sort of uh, collaborative effort and by creating content for them, uh, with them, you can show up in those communities, you can show up in those digital, digital, digital watering holes, you can get uh, a column in one of those um, publications or magazines or whatever it might be, you can show up at the conferences and that becomes your marketing strategy, right? It's just show up where they are and then whittle it down to what are the most effective ways to show up to make a compelling case to those people. and. Uh, now you've got a marketing plan. That I, I, I love, A, that you just went that deep on it. And the other thing is, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, what would I, what would I do if I was this? And I made this list, and it's a bunch of stuff that you just said, basically. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Great. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to sure hear you, I'm not sure you covered cold. Like, I thought of cold email, cold calls, cold LinkedIn outreach, mm. right? So that's yeah. one. 
um, you mentioned in-person events because I, you know, with tiny seed companies and even with microconf companies, like there are folks who are targeting legal, who are targeting insurance agents, who are targeting small private movie theaters that are not corporately mm -hmm. owned. You know, I mean, just this, they're not online really. And so this is, these are the things you have to do in-person yeah. events. There's usually a trade event. There's a few during the year. Um, SEO, you mentioned partnerships and biz dev is another one that I think is, is, probably underutilized in a lot of these spaces. Someone yeah. somewhere has the, the, these folks' ear. Like lawyers, you know, you and I wouldn't know this, but there's a website called The Lawyerist, and mm. it is this big education brand. They have courses and they have stuff. The only reason I know is I know the founder. He lives in Minneapolis. We hang out. We have, you know, lunch sometimes. But now that I know that, every time I talk to someone in legal software, they're like, oh, yeah, The Lawyerist. We know that. So, can you write for the lawyerist? Can you, you can sponsor the lawyerist. Um, there are trade pubs. Are there agencies that do marketing work or web work for mm -hmm. this space? Again, if it's lawyers or if it's um, home improvement contract, like who, who has at least 10 or 20 of those on their list? Thousands would be great, but who has at least a right. few and how can you <laughs> gather those people? You know, that's what yeah. I'm thinking about it. That's a good question. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's one that I don't, you know, we don't often get asked, but I think there, there are a lot of ways to do it. And it, yeah, it's not Twitter and it's probably not Google pay-per-click ads. You know, it's going to be, you're going to have to get, get more creative with it. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead. You have anything else to add? Or? I was going to say, I, a Swipe House member actually sells to uh, insurance agents in certain states in the Northeast. And we were talking, we, we had a call I mean, with every one of the members that I can. And so he's asking, asking me about kind of a marketing strategy. And sometimes it is one of those things where like there literally is no uh, influence mapping that you can do because those people don't pay attention to anything really. They don't go to any conferences. They don't read any blog posts. There are no trade publications. And so, but we, what we did find out was that all of their sort of, uh, since they're licensed agents in the state, you can find them fairly easily directly. And so in that case, you just, like you said, you just go DM them on LinkedIn, you email them, you find their email address, uh, you send them a postcard and you do some like direct mailers back to them. Um, and that's actually worked really, really effectively. So sometimes even just like the most straightforward, uh, simple marketing strategy is the one that ends up being the winner. Read The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes, if you haven't. I'm not talking to you, Corey. I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you know most I of what's in it. I need to go read it, too. It's, it's legit. And the, the, he talks about the dream, finding your dream 100, your dream 100 customers. And then, and you look, maybe for your business, it's dream 1,000. You need 1,000 to you know, make your number. Whatever it is, uh, he talks about getting that 100 and... Um, contacting them and first you call and then you email and then you postcard and then you lumpy mail if you've heard of lumpy mail which is where you send something in a in an envelope that's mm -hmm. you know a calendar or something and so it's like lumpy is what they right and then you call again <laughs> and then, and so you spend you know a year courting these people and you're not going to close them all but they will notice you eventually yeah you know it's just, but you have to have the price point if you're going to go into these spaces you have to have the ltv or the acv in order to justify being you know spending that much time Questions are pouring in, so I want to cover the rest of your story quickly because we are going yeah, to have yeah. time. I, yeah. I think we're going to push a little longer. Are you, are you, you have oh, a yeah. few extra minutes? Awesome. I've got as much time as you want. Cool. So the, th the third step then in your stair step um, was starting this community for founders and marketers, which is mm -hmm. the member, I'm assuming the membership side of Swipe Files. Yeah. Yeah. So it's gone through a lot of uh, iterations, I would say. You know, the difficult part about building an online membership, uh, however you want to kind of define that. Well, that's, that's part of the problem. It's really hard to define. Like there is no single model or single best way to do it. Single best, you know, product offering or combination of sort of features, if you will, for a membership. And so it's taken me a while to really figure out, um, like what is the product market fit look like for an online membership that people would pay for? And I'm still learning that and still making tweaks and still, uh, sort of iterating my way to, getting closer and closer to what exactly people want and need. Um, but I think it's difficult because you think about SaaS products and, and software and uh, it's very utilitarian. It's does this thing do what I need it to or not, right? And if it doesn't, then it's not worth paying for. If it does, I will gladly pay and I will even pay more if it becomes more useful and more helpful over time. Um, with a membership, it's not utilitarian. Uh, it's a little bit more of a journey, it's content, it's information, it's, it's empowering in some way, 
but it's a lot more like emotionally benefit driven than it is just like a strict, here's this thing that helps you, you know, you're picking up a hammer basically with software, whereas you're attending, uh, well, quite literally like a seminar, right? Or you're picking up a book or you're reading content that will uh, give you the information you need to go and do the things and learn how to wield the hammer or the saw or whatever it is, the tool that you need. Um, all that to say, I'm trying to build up context to describe all the different sort of iterations that I've gone through. So it started with the with the newsletter, uh, and basically I also introduced a paid newsletter version where um, it was kind of an interesting mechanic that I'm a little bit proud of. I wish that it would have like scaled further, but I just felt like it kind of tapped it out. But I made it so that the the latest issue was always free. But then anytime you wanted to, it to access like a previous issue of a newsletter, then you had to pay for access and become a member. And that worked pretty well to get the first, again, 100 members. But then after that, um, I was sort of like tapping out the potential of the newsletter growth. And I figured, well, with these numbers, if I'm converting, uh, you know, 100 members from at that time, I think it was about 2000 subscribers total, then in order for me to get to 1000, I need to get to, you know, 16,000. That just felt like a long road and a grind. And I was also feeling kind of like the, you know, being on the hamster wheel on the treadmill, just creating stuff week after week after week and trying to put out my best stuff. And some things would do really well and kind of go a little bit viral. Some things would just fall completely flat. And so anyways, I wanted to find something else. So then I started the community and the community was going to be now like this added benefit to when you became a paid member of the newsletter, you also get access to the Swipe Files community. And so it's like-minded people. And But really there was no like hook in there. And so I spent a while, a good long time, maybe like eight months, just trying to figure out what else can I add to this? Um, how can I get people from the newsletter to the community to then the courses, what I, which I can upsell? And uh, and then I joined a mastermind with a couple other other creators. It's about seven or eight, actually, I believe. We meet once a month. We have some hot seats. Um, and it was in one of those hot seats that I was describing all these things that I'm talking about, about just how difficult it is to find product market fit and what's the offering and how do I push people back and forth. And they were like, look, we have, after I'd you know gone on my whole spiel for about half an hour, <laughs> they were like, look, it's really, really simple. You need to get back to basics. Why aren't you focusing on SaaS marketing? Why aren't you lumping everything into just one single membership and just going all in on that thing instead of architecting this really big, complex, sophisticated, you know, upsell funnel and all these flows and all these different paths that people are supposed to go down that they're that they're not today. And I was like, dang it, they're right. <laughs> so I have to go do that. Um, so I consolidated everything under one brand, one membership, all the courses, the community, what was the paid newsletter, but now it's all the archive of the the teardowns and everything else I had done, there was a few other uh, like workshops and um, sort of special like premium piece of content I put in there all up under one membership. And now it's all focused on SaaS marketing, which is again, my bread and butter. And I think weaving, like trying to expand outside of that also ended up hurting me because then it was a lot of um, kind of like over planning and over engineering. Like, well, if I write this piece of content, how do I make sure that it applies to SaaS and to e-commerce and to info products and to marketplaces? And it was just like, it's getting like way too difficult. Too much. I, yeah, I know SaaS marketing really, really well. I can tell you very quickly how this tactic applies directly to SaaS marketing. So that was in <clears throat> September of 2021. And that was like a huge inflection point because after that, just like the offering, the way that, the way that I described it and so, sold it become so much more simple. It wasn't like, well, I have a newsletter and there's a paid version and a community and I have these courses and I have this coaching component. It's like, no, no, no. It's a newsletter and it's a membership, even though that's like still a little bit difficult to define. It's a newsletter and a membership for SaaS marketing to help you grow your SaaS business. That can be for founders, that can be for marketers. I get pretty much dump everything I can into that thing, but there are courses and everything is revolving around that single uh, value proposition, right? Of this is what I will help you with. Right. And it's and, simplicity uh, and focus that you yeah. got. And you found it not only in your product offering, but in the positioning of it. And mm -hmm. then in the niche, you're focusing on SaaS now. Like it's that it, everything was, it's like you were wandering around creating all this stuff that was kind of working and then realized, you know, through your advice from your mastermind, it's like, oh, I just, this is so, it's that click, right? Where something clicks yeah. and it's like this, oh, this is going to get me to product market fit, right? Mm -hmm. I bet you knew at the moment, the moment you sat down to like architect and be like, well, I got to rename this. I got to, did it start to feel like, oh man, this is the ticket right here. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It? Yeah. it was the thing that I just I had known, but I just didn't want to accept because I wanted to do it my way and just sort of have like all these little things that were independently working because I felt like that would be easier in some way. But it really was working against me and it was working against the business and against my goals. And even like the next step after that was they were like, "Hey, you got to raise your prices, man. Like a hundred bucks a year." As an absolute steal, like they were like, how much value are you creating by helping people grow their SaaS business? And I was like, well, like millions of dollars, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you add uh, a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars in MRR to your SaaS business over time, and that that growth compounds, you're we're generating millions millions of dollars in value, and I'm charging a hundred bucks a year. Like it doesn't really make any sense. Um, so then I also created a couple of uh, price increases. Finally got the price to where it is today at five hundred dollars a year which is still, they really wanted me to go to like a thousand, two thousand dollars a year. I thought, you know what, I'm going to start here. And then maybe once I start to like push against like, what's the num maximum number of people I can support, then I'll get there. Um, but they were also like, Hey, you gotta, you know, you don't have to just do memberships. You can also sell sponsorships. And so that's provided another 50 grand in revenue. You can also do affiliates. So I've now been, you know, incorporating more of that. And that provides another five to 10 grand a year in revenue. Um, and, now things are humming pretty much. Uh, I'm still working out some of the tweaks there, but it feels good to like, you know, it, like I have product market fit. I can say that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't, great, I don't know. It's one of those things, again, you don't know, you can't really describe it. Like you just know if you have it or not. The whole product market fit discussion is kind of interesting anyways, but especially for an info product, it's just so like ethereal and um, difficult to put your finger on that you really do have to just, you know, when it's working or not, you know, am I proud of selling this thing and talking about it? If yes, then I think you have product market fit. Yeah. I have this new segment on startups for the rest of us. Uh, I think it'll start in the next couple of episodes. Oh, yeah, every yeah. founder comes on. I say, when did you have, <laughs> when did you know you had that. product market fit? And there's a little jingle and stuff, but it, I'm asking yeah. that because every definition I hear of it, even my own, mine is, you know, you've built something people want and are willing to pay for. But even that, it's like, well, yeah, but you get there, you can get there early and not have product market fit and still have that. Like, it's it's so hard to define. And uh, so I like to hear, you know, other people's perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. I need to jump into listener questions they are pouring in. So, Let's do it. Um, yeah, we can maybe try to lightning round these because I think there's four of them. Okay. And we are over time, but people are hanging around asking things. So let's do it. So Sam on YouTube says, what would be your advice for an absolute SaaS beginner with a, with strong programming experience? Where should I start? I'll weigh in on that first and then Corey sure. can win. So I would say, Sam, it depends on do you want to learn marketing? Like, is that something that excites you and you want to add that to your tool belt? If so, I would start with swipefiles.com. I would enter my email there and then I would, you know, <laughs> sign up for the paid membership. But seriously, I would educate myself, right? I would, I would be in microconf, uh, connects. I would be at, you know, following Corey, Asia, Arangio. Like there are people who know SaaS marketing, but that I will say that is a hard road to go. If all you've done is coding to date. And the whole idea of the stair step approach is that you have this skill as a developer. So if you were to go build a Shopify add on a Heroku add on a WordPress plugin, build or acquire any of these things, you already have the software expertise. You don't have to learn marketing. You can just rank well. In, you just have to learn enough to rank well in their app store. Now this business will not be a $5 million business, but can it get to 10 grand a month, 15 grand a month, allow you to quit your day job? Yes. I've seen a lot of add-ons, you know, app store apps, um, that apply to tiny seed, frankly, that are in the 10 to 50,000 a month range. Now these are not venture backable, crazy startups, but that's not what you want. You want the first step of the stair step, which is to pay, you know, first two steps, which is to basically buy out your time. So those are kind of the two ways I would think about it. Corey, what mm -hmm. do you have to add? Yeah, I would, uh, I would say you want to know enough to be dangerous and to know what you're looking for, uh, to kind of scrape and claw your way to your first, you know, customers. Honestly, though, um, I, I'm maybe in like a, it's maybe like a controversial take in some ways, but I'm of the opinion that you should be working really, really hard in your circle of competence and like in your zone of genius. And I think that one of the things that we forget about in this whole conversation around, bootstrapping and, uh, and, you know, building a profitable SaaS business and stair-stepping and like building a business that supports your lifestyle is you want to be doing things that you actually enjoy and that you like doing day to day. And my hunch is that marketing probably isn't in that 
uh, equation of what are the things that you like to do is probably more in the programming, design, architecture, engineering, uh, product work, customer research. And if you don't like doing it, then don't do it. Get a co-founder. Get someone who, or again, know what you're looking for so you can go and hire someone once you have somebody to work with who can do the marketing for you, like Derek has done with me. And that will make your life a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable. Uh, you can work in your sort of circle of competence, your zone of genius. And that way, um, you don't have to compromise. Because, I mean, Rob, you might have an opinion here, but I think that, especially for software, there are two very distinct jobs that both require full-time attention. And that is building the software and selling the software. It's really, really hard to straddle and do both of those things. The best advice that I've heard from people who do do that, and they're technical founders who are solo founders, is they tell you, do like a week on, week off, where one week you're doing programming, one week you're doing marketing. You're doing two jobs at once, part-time, right? And so that's really, really difficult. I feel like that kind of caps your your potential. And also it's kind of a recipe for burnout, I think, for a lot of people. And um, they might tell you that if you ask them. But um, I would say, you know, learn enough to be dangerous so you can hire someone and outsource uh, specialists for certain areas that you know our work or promising if, if it's SEO or if it's sales or if it's partnerships or whatever that looks like, or find a co-founder who can do the, the marketing for you. Trust me, there are plenty of people like me who are not product people who are desperate for an amazing product person, an engineer, a developer. And we're just kind of like flailing around, trying to network, trying to find the right people. They're out there for sure. There are a lot of you know, charlatans <laughs> also, you want to be careful of that as well. But there are a lot of people like me who are like, man, if I just had someone to build software, like I can sell the crap out of this thing. And that just makes both your lives really easy. Good advice. Next question, Matt in microconf connect. Do you think you can leapfrog some of the earlier steps by spending money through a broker like quiet light, FE international or through micro acquire or can, or can, should you spend money on the earlier steps as well? I'm not sure I understand the latter part of the question. So hmm. my, my take, yes, I absolutely did this. I jumped to product market fit like four times because I bought apps and some of them were really small. Um, I guess Hittail was the biggest one. It was 30 grand. So then, but that had product market fit. It's just, no one was marketing it and it was buggy as hell. And it was infrastructure was going down like twice a month. And so I fixed all that and then marketed it, but I didn't have to build something from scratch. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that, Corey. Yeah, well, it's interesting because even like the way that you answer it, it's more of a, a marketing question than it is a, a product question, right? And so I think from a product standpoint, 100%, you can buy your way to product market fit. You can buy an app that's you know already pre-built, looks interesting, looks like it has a little bit of traction. And that you sort of already have like, okay, this is a, a promising idea that we can expand on and build out and we can fix and whatever. But then you actually have to go and, and market it, right? So I would say for a, a developer or a programmer, maybe that's not the way that you want to go because uh, you can't like product your way out of that or into growth. Um, you're still going to have to do a lot of marketing. And in fact, especially if you want to like, depending on the way that you fund it or sort of how you uh, you pay for it, like... You want to grow so that you have more money to work with, more resources. Um, if you're a marketer, 100%. I mean, I think that's actually uh, – so maybe a couple of people I know have gone have gotten into SaaS as they, they're a marketer. They have good uh, kind of growth chops. Ryan Kolb comes to mind where um, him and a partner bought FOMO.com. He wasn't a programmer back then, I don't think. Um, and so they use like a – basically like a um, seller finance loan where basically they just – they bought it, but then they repaid it over time, and they used the profits to pay a developer to go and like fix all the issues and build a product, and then they focused on growing it, which allowed them to generate more cash flow to then, you know, reinvest into building the product and expanding from there. Um, so, uh, you know, a yes and <laughs> or a yes yep. but. Yep. All right. Uh, next question, Sean on MicroConf Connect. Uh, my problem with stair-stepping is I have a successful consulting business. Starting small means focusing on things that are low revenue compared to what I do now, and the time invested can be high, which takes away from consulting. It's a broad question, so kick it to the curb if you want, but I keep wondering how to approach stair-stepping in this situation, or do I just take the hit in terms of time and money and start with something small? So I have hmm. thoughts on this. I did this. I had a consulting. I mean, I was just a contractor and I had a micro agency and I was billing 120, 150 an hour. And then I was going, spending time working on stuff that was generating no revenue and it killed me. 
So a couple things. Number one, you're probably making buckets of money because that's what you do if you're consulting. You should be charging a lot. And if you are, then go buy something. Like that's what I did. My first probably two or three successes, .NET Invoice and Wedding Toolbox or whatever, I acquired them. Now they were in bad shape and I overpaid. It was 2005, six. Like there was no, none of the stuff we have, the infrastructure in place was there. And I, you know, made some bad decisions, but I turned them around. My back was to the wall. I spent 10, 11 grand on .NET Invoice. <laughs> and I was like, well, I have to make this work now because that's all the money I had in, you know, my bank account. Yeah. Um, so number one, acquire to jump ahead. Or number two, you know, if, I don't know if you're solo or if you have a team, because uh, you say it's a business. So like if you have a whole team of people, I would just fork one person off. And I, um, I probably would go after an app store thing. That's just such a, it's such an easy opportunity these days. Um, but, you know, if you want to be more ambitious, you go after the full SaaS. But then it's like, all right, so now I have one developer working on this, probably part-time as other consulting stuff comes in. Who's going to then market that? Like, that's still the thing. Is like, if you don't know how to market and sell a product, a SaaS product, that's still a big gap. And that's what these, the step one of the stair step can, you know, can help you with. What are your thoughts, Corey? Yeah, I'll offer a di different interpretation of maybe where he's coming from and say, uh, if he's consulting now, a successful consultancy, um, then maybe he does sort of what I've done with SavvyCal. I need to go more like part-time. And that way you split your time still paying the bills because you can charge a lot of consulting and uh, maybe you're not making buckets of money and uh, you're not living the high life anymore, but you're spending your time on the things that are enjoyable and fun and rewarding and that will pay off later down the road. You can kind of delay some gratification or uh, maybe you can productize that consultancy. In fact, I think maybe Rob, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of one of the steps, right, is uh, or one of the options for that second step is you can productize. That's right what you're yep. doing manually. And I would say there's a very clear path to uh, like doing something as a consulting function and then productizing that thing and then um, like sassifying that same thing. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're doing uh, content marketing as a consultant and you're just writing articles and then you can productize that and you can do a, you know, sort of like an audience ops, brand castle play, or uh, even like a content marketing agency out of that, you can spin out products or you can even say, what do we do best? We can build a tool around that, that maybe, maybe it's an AI copywriting tool, or maybe it's some sort of tool to help with SEO. Maybe it's a tool to um, sort of uh, streamline the processes that you use in your agency uh, to efficiently pump out a lot of content that ranks well in Google, right? And so I think maybe there's, there's steps up from consultancy that can lead you uh, to your end goal of building SaaS or kind of going further up the, the steps, or you can kind of scale it back and then you can just spend time doing things that you enjoy. And, you know, if you're just optimizing for, for money, then like, don't stop consulting. <laughs> but if you want to optimize for lifestyle and the work you enjoy and something that does have recurring revenue from a product, then of course you want to build something else, right? Even though you might take a hit financially. You're going to take a big dip. This is from, you know, full-time work to moving to products. Like almost everyone I know, if you, unless you raise funding, you take this hit in income and it can take you years, two, three, five years to get back to the point where now, oh, I'm finally making as much as I was back then. But you have the freedom, you have purpose, you have relationships, all mm -hmm. the things that I talk about. It's, it's the lifestyle, you know? And so if you're optimizing, like you, the, I love it the way you said it, if you're optimizing for money, keep consulting. You're just probably going to make more money for the foreseeable future and you know, uh, versus products. It's going to take a while to get back to that point. All right, last two questions and then we'll wrap. Octavio on YouTube says, my software is in German because I live in Germany, but I want to open it to all countries. So should I have the website in English or translate it to multiple languages? Mm. My hot take is I would go English next and then figure, I would not go like, hey, let's have six languages from the start because you, you, know, you just don't, uh, none of the markets are that big. Like the English market's going to get you the next biggest market. And then maybe it's probably Spanish after that. It depends on what your software does. So it's a little hard for me to answer, but what mm -hmm. else do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree completely. From like a, a growth marketing perspective, what you'll see a lot of companies do when they're trying to expand internationally, starting with English or like a US-based company, is that they'll they'll literally, like they'll go to one market, maybe Germany or Spain or uh, or, or France and they'll get that all set up. They'll figure out like, what's the playbook for, for this country. And then once they figure that out and they feel like they have some traction and things are working well, 
then they'll go to the next one. So for sure, don't do like more than one kind of country expansion at once because you'll have too many plates in the air and it'll just be a giant juggling act that you don't want to deal with. Um, but also every country is different. So you can't treat them the same, like, oh, we're just going to expand internationally. Like, wh what does that mean, right? You have to take each country as its own uh, norms, rules, um, different uh, cultural ways of, you know, again, if you're doing like the influence mapping exercise, that's everyone's gonna have like a different mix of like, what's normal? How do people normally buy software in that country? It's probably gonna differ. Maybe not like a ton, but you wanna treat it that way just so you have a very personalized experience you're making the most of your money. Um, if you're doing the opposite, if you're going from Germ uh, Germany to somewhere else, 100%, I would start with English. You're gonna get the US and Canada. Um, or if you have some sort of inroad with another country, maybe like a neighboring country like France or uh, or even if you want to start with English, we want to target more like the UK, for example, and you have some sort of connection, um, some friends, uh, you know, your network is there, then maybe start there. And maybe that's your inroad. Um, but again, go one by one. Don't do more than one at once. Right. And if he was asking this question in reverse saying, I have an app in English and I want to, you know, translate it to Germany or to German because I feel like I'm... Um running out of uh, customers or whatever, I would actually give different advice. I would say, don't do that. Um, usually that's <laughs> the wrong choice. Usually the, the English speaking market is plenty big enough. Once mm -hmm. you, if I'm going to translate to Spanish or German, we often think, oh, I just need the app to be translated. And we know how to do that. Localization, globalization, easy enough. But no, then you have to translate your entire marketing site. You have to, are you going to support it via email in that language? Are you going to have a KB right. translated to that? Are you going to do sales in that language? Are you going to tra translate all your landing pages? Are you going to run ads in that language? How do you market in that language? You know, it's just mm -hmm. even like I can't go on the podcasts <laughs> in Germany because I don't speak German, right? It's like right. I, you can't reach those people. So anyways, that's a different question, but it is something that I get asked relatively often. And yeah, that's a good point. You, you really only see like the largest SaaS companies who are, they've tapped out every other marketing channel, every other like sales function. Yep. That's like the very last step is international expansion. And then you see, you know, the hotspots and the sales forces of the world. Now they're going and they're building offices in other countries and they're sort of hopping around They're they might focus on Europe first and then APAC and then, you know, yep. vice versa. But, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a last step, I would say. <laughs> Corey Haynes, we are way over time, but I appreciate you sticking around to answer those really thoughtful and insightful uh, listener questions. Thanks, everyone in the audience, for asking them. If folks want to keep up with you, you are Corey Haynes, CO on Twitter, and swipefiles.com if they want to see what you're working on. Thanks so much for yeah. joining me, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's an honor. Awesome. And thank you for sticking around and listening to that. Uh, it was it was became improv at a certain point because there were so many good questions. I didn't want to, you know, normally I rap pretty hard uh, right at 30 minutes, but wanted to keep going. So a couple announcements before we wrap. MicroConf growth tickets in Minneapolis are on sale. We only have, we have less than 30 tickets available. Um, and today we announced Don Pottinger from Kevy and Languatalk will be delivering a keynote on the extended version of stair-stepping to create a legacy. If you're wondering how to grow your business to seven or eight figures, you need to come to MicroConf Growth. Um, MicroConf.com slash growth. And as always, thanks to Hay and Stripe for being our headline partners in 2020, in 2021, and yeah, now again in 2022. They're super helpful and they've been longtime supporters of MicroCom. So thanks again for joining me. I'll see you again in two weeks, same time, same place.